0: Revelation chapters 6 and 7. I watched as the lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of barley for a day's wages and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, Sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. And the stars in the sky fell to earth as figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea Do not harm the land. Or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed. 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000, from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000, from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000, from the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? I answered, He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes.
1: Thank you, Mark, for that
0: uh, great reading. Year 6 to 8 are going
1: to head out for Bible study now, so you can head out. Please keep your Bibles open. Let's pray now that God would would help us as we turn our, our minds to this part of his word. Our Father, we thank you for your word, and we do pray and ask that you give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts ready to respond to you. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our regular pattern here at Harrington Park Anglican is to work through uh, systematically work through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter, and uh, this week we're up to Revelation 6 and 7. Uh, if you're not familiar with the book of Revelation, or perhaps even if you are familiar with it, uh, you may read this and think this is weird, strange stuff. You know, visions of uh, horses and swords and scales and beasts and earthquakes, and it, it kind of seems like the sort of stuff of some sort of nightmarish, mythical Lord of the Rings uh, type movie plot. And you may wonder, well, what does this mean? And uh, some people you know, reading this may think, well, that just confirms that you know, the Bible is a bunch of myths and fairy tales. And... But to think that would be a failure, uh, it would be a failure to take the Bible seriously, and in fact, it would be a, ta- a failure to take reading seriously. Because as you read the Bible, or any piece of writing for that matter, we need to read it according to uh, the genre in which it's written, the type of writing that it is. A newspaper and a novel, well, they're both things that you read, but they're different types of writing. And as you read them, you need to read and understand them differently, that they both convey meaning, but they do it differently. Similarly, the Bible has different genres of writing. Some parts are historical narratives, recounting events that have taken place, you know, such as the, the Gospel accounts or the Book of Acts. Um, other parts are more like poetry, Uh, So perhaps the the Psalms? Well, the book of Revelation is not an historical narrative. It's not even a a predictive narrative. It's an account of a vision. Uh, You might say a a kind of dreamlike vision with vivid pictures. It's a vision that God gave uh, the Apostle John in order to reveal God's perspective on this world and on what's happening now and what lies ahead. And so to understand the message of Revelation, we need to realise that that much of this book is written in picture language. It's figuratively, we're not not meant to take it literally, we're not meant to think that that we're going to literally see four fierce-looking horses of different colours with riders carrying a variety of implements. To read it literally is actually to miss the point of what it's saying. In a similar way, if I said to you, my love is like a red, red rose... And you wouldn't think, well, okay, so she's got red petals and green leaves and thorns. I mean, that, that kind of misses the point, doesn't it? Likewise with Revelation, we're, we're meant to see the, the, the picture that it paints for us. And we're, we're to let that, that wash over us without getting kind of stuck on particular details. And when we do that, it's actually not that hard to understand. The message is, is fairly clear and plain. I think the other common mistake with the book of Revelation is to think that it's, it's only talking about some future time, as you know, what's going to happen at the end of the world, which is a mistake because whilst Revelation does help us to understand what God says about the future, it does that by showing us what God says about life now and to how to live now in the light of the future. I guess all this is to say that if you think that Revelation 6 and 7 is is strange and difficult and irrelevant, I want to say no. No, no. These chapters paint for us a vivid picture that's not hard to understand and far from being irrelevant, they actually contain a vital message for us and they show us God's perspective on this world and on our lives and on what's coming. So let's uh, let's dive into it. I hope you've got your Bibles open. The passage will come up on the screen as well. Uh, chapter six, verse one, we read, I watched as the lamb opened the first of the seven seals, then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a loud in a voice like thunder, come. Now, straight away, if you weren't here last week, uh, or if you can't remember last week, because that was such a long time ago, uh, you, you're kind of wondering, well, uh, who's the lamb and what's with the seven seals? And, and by the way, they're seals as in seals on a letter, not uh, the animal. You know, or, or, um, um, that's an important point. Uh, and and what, what's with the four living creatures? Well, John has, has described these in the, the previous uh, chapters in in uh, describing his vision earlier in chapters 4 and 5. The four living creatures, they represent uh, all of creation gathered around the throne of God in worship of God. Uh, The lamb represents Jesus, the son of God who was sacrificed. And in chapter 5, we read that the lamb took from God a scroll with writing on both sides that's been sealed with seven seals. So, this, this scroll represents the, the destiny of the world or, or God's perspective on the destiny of the world. And so, this chapter, chapter six, what we see, it describes John uh, as he, sorry, what, describes what John saw as the Lamb opens each of the first six seals. That is, as Jesus reveals God's perspective. Firstly, we see the afflictions of human history. As the Lamb opens uh, each of the first four seals, we have the, the appearing of the four horses. Now the first one is white, verse 2. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror, bent on conquest. Now colors are, um, are symbolic. I mean, colours are symbolic for us and as they are for, for every culture. Uh, but let me ask you, what, what, uh, what do you think of? What does the colour uh, represent, the colour green? Nature? Life? Sorry? Go? Yep, green light. Being sick? Yeah, thank you for that one. Sorry? Calmness? Yep. Envy, jealousy, there's there's a lot of things that the colour green represents. What about red? Anger, Anger, danger, war, stop. What about white? Purity, peace, surrender. It's interesting, different cultures, uh, colours have different meanings. So in Anglo-Western culture, white typically is associated with purity. But what about Chinese culture? Anyone know what, what does white represent in Chinese culture? Death. That's a distinct difference, isn't it? It's important to remember if you're thinking of sending your Chinese friends uh, some, some white roses on her a, on a wedding day. <laughs> it's perhaps not the, uh, not the right colour to go for. So colours are symbolic. Now, throughout Revelation, the colour white is associated with victory. And we see that, uh, we see that here. That the writer is, is given a, a bow and a crown and is a conqueror bent on conquest, so that's the first horse. The first horse represents human conquest. The second horse, fiery red. Well, this horse takes peace from the earth, it says, and brings warfare. The third horse is black. Its rider holds a pair of scales. And then John writes in verse 6, says, "...then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures, saying two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of barley for a day's wages." And do not damage the oil and the wine. Uh, what the, the picture here is one of scarcity. A whole day's wages. What's that in today's terms? I mean, average wage, you know, $230. A whole day's wages buys about a kilogram of wheat. Barely enough money, uh, food to feed one person. So it's a picture of scarcity, of famine. The fourth horse is pale, the color of death. Verse 8 says they were given power over a fourth of the, of the earth to kill by sword, famine and plague and by the wild beasts of the earth. So these four horses of John's vision, they represent the afflictions of human history. People bent on conquest, on warfare, famine, death. Now, I think in our, our peaceful Australian 21st century context, we, we may think, well, this must be talking about some sort of future end time era of conflict and suffering but no this is our world now um, afghanistan syria yemen somalia kenya iraq south sudan the, the, the list goes on this, this is our world now and this has been our world down through the ages right from the time of the first recipients of john's letter conflict warfare famine the famine that so often follows warfare And death through all of that, these things have plagued our world and continue to. But notice what this tells us also. This is this is not a world out of control given over to just unrestrained destruction. No, throughout this picture, God is in control. I don't know if you notice, but these writers are given. So verse 2, is given a crown. Verse 4, given power to take peace from the earth and given a large sword. Verse 8, given power. That is, God is in control of this. Furthermore, he constrains the destruction. It's it's partial, it's not complete. Uh, The wheat and the barley are affected, but do not damage, says the oil or wine. Uh, similarly the fourth right is given power but only over a fourth of the earth a quarter it's it's constrained i mean that's still destructive a quarter is a lot of people but it's not total it's limited it's under god's control and the time of it is limited as we see when we open the, the fifth seal and here the view switches from earth to heaven. It says when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. John sees that those who'd been martyred because of the fact that they followed Jesus. That they'd been faithful in the face of persecution, even to the point of death. And again, for us in peaceful Australia, we where opposition to Christians is, is far less intense. I mean, we may be ridiculed, we may be excluded, we may be called names, or we may even have our employment contracts ripped up uh, for following Jesus. But, and so to us being put to death because we follow Jesus seems worlds away, and yet it's not. Again, this is our world. Uh, it's estimated that more people have been killed in the past 100 years for the sake that they follow Christ than in the, the previous 19 uh, centuries uh, before that. Uh, the uh, organisation Voice of the Martyrs raises awareness and support for persecuted Christians. And one article on their website uh, last week says this Al Shabaab militants came for Christian school teachers Philip Akuma and Daniel Wakesa in the middle of the night. They surrounded the men's house in their small Kenyan village near the Somali border and then tossed a grenade through a window as flames spread through the concrete block structure. Philip and Daniel ran for the door and were shot to death as they exited the building. According to a group of Somali Christian leaders, the men were killed for sharing the gospel with their students. This is October last year. Uh, The article goes on to say how despite the fierce opposition to Christians, God's word, digital copies of, of the Somali Bible, are being distributed throughout Somalia. This is our world. Revelation 6 describes the world we live in and even in peaceful australia opposition towards christians is rising in john's vision these martyrs called out in a loud voice they said how long how long sovereign lord holy and true until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood when will the injustice end When will justice be done? The answer, verse 11, then each of them was given a white robe, gained, white, victorious. They're victorious. They will be with God in his eternal kingdom. And they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. You see here, even in the midst of this opposition, persecution, and people being put to death. God is in control. He is the sovereign Lord and he will judge. He will avenge their blood. But wait a little longer, he says. It's only a little longer because next we have the sixth seal and with this opening comes the day of judgment. Verse 12, I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red and the stars in the sky fell to earth as figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. These are all images uh, of judgment. A lot of them, you'll find them in in parts of the Old Testament, um, such as in the book of Joel. And, And what these images convey and what they signal is the day of the Lord has arrived. This is the final judgment of God. This is the day of his wrath against all who stand opposed to him. Verse 15, then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can withstand it? God will bring justice to all who oppose him. Notice that phrase there, the the wrath of the Lamb. The Lamb, the Saviour, Jesus, sacrificed for us in our place to bring salvation. But for all who reject his salvation, he is also the judge who will hold them to account. Judgment is coming. Again, in peaceful Australia, we may not feel the importance of this, or the the need for this, or the or the rightness of judgment. And yet, I think we get we get an inkling of it. We experience, especially when we experience some sort of injustice, and we rightly call out for justice to be done. We get an inkling of that, especially when that injustice is is against us. You know, from a young age, when Someone takes the toy that we were playing with. We cry out for justice to be done and those, with, those parents with small children will, will understand the intense desire for justice. When someone cuts us off in traffic, when our boss blames us for something we didn't do and then turns against us, when a friend or a family member profoundly wrongs us or wrongs someone dear to us, we... We instinctively long for justice to be done. And that's right. But you know, that's a drop in the ocean compared to the rightness of the sovereign Lord of this whole world, the creator, the sustainer, the saviour, the judge, for him to bring justice. That is profoundly good and right for him to bring judgment against all who defiantly rebel against him. Like the souls of the martyrs under the altar, we should cry out, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth? Judgment is coming. There will come a day when God will bring judgment. And as we arrive at the end of chapter 6, we expect the next thing to say, I watched as he opened the seventh seal. And it was finished. Judgment was complete. That's what we expect, but it it doesn't say that. See the next verse, chapter 7, verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who have been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Judgment's coming. That's what we're expecting. But then these four angels are standing at the The four corners of the earth, that is, the whole earth is before them and judgment is imminent, but they're holding it back. They're preventing the wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. It's a picture of stillness, of calm. And this other angel comes with a seal of the living God and says, Wait, don't bring judgment until we've put a seal on the servants of God. It's a bit like having the first Passover in, in, uh, in, in Egypt, recorded for us in Exodus, how, how God was going to send his angel to bring judgment on Egypt. But at first he told his people to sacrifice a lamb and to paint the blood above the doorways of their houses to mark out those houses as belonging to God. And so the judgment would pass over them. They would be saved. And so here, the angel comes to to mark out, to seal the foreheads of the servants of God. Now, again, we're not meant to take this literally. This doesn't mean that, well, there'll come a future point in time when Christians will receive some sort of special branding or tattoo or fish sticker, bumper sticker, or microchip or something that you know. It just means that God's people belong to Him. They're marked out for him. And what that means is that they will be safe. They will have the safety of salvation. These are God's people. And then John hears the the number of those who are sealed. Verse 4, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. That is God's Old Testament people. And again, this is picture language. Uh, Numbers, just like colours, are symbolic. I mean, they are in our culture. Thirteen, for some reason, is is the unlucky number. Well, numbers are symbolic, and in uh, the number twelve, well, that's the number of God's people, twelve tribes of Israel. Uh, the number one thousand is the is the great, big, massive number. You know, we, we sort of talk about billions, but for them, a thousand is the is the number of, of bigness. And so here we are. We have the twelve by twelve by a thousand people. This is the, the totally complete massive people of Israel. And they're listed tribe by tribe with twelve thousand from each tribe. But then in verse nine, the image shifts. Verse nine it says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. This this multitude is from every nation. It can't be counted. Just like how in Genesis 15, God took Abraham outside and said, look up at the stars and count them if you can, so shall your offspring be. Here is the uncountable multitude of God's people who will be saved from judgment. And they're wearing white robes, again, symbolizing victory or possibly cleansing or possibly both. And then down in verse 13, uh, we read then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? And John gives a wise answer. I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. It's a strange image, isn't it? To, To wash something in blood to make it white. But this is the blood of the lamb. Jesus' sacrificial death as our substitute brings about forgiveness. Victory over sin. Victory over death. Cleansing from sin. Welcome into the people of God. Such that we would enjoy the security and blessing and life and joy of being in God's presence forever. And John paints a picture of that in these closing verses of chapter 15. He says, Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I think it's hard for us to get a handle on on how good this will be. I mean, heaven is heaven is beyond this world, and so it's hard for us to describe it. For us to describe it in the terms of, of this world, which we know, our our attempts kind of fall short. But John's vision here gives a a, a tiny glimpse of it, with. The talk of a throne, of, of his temple, of shelter, of his presence. No hunger or thirst or scorching heat. This picture of a shepherd leading his sheep to springs of living water, of God wiping away every tear. This is the safety of salvation instead of the terror of judgment. So what does this all mean for us? Well, these chapters of Revelation, um, they don't actually say anything particularly different to the rest of the Bible. I mean, they say it with kind of more colour and drama, but the message is the same. Life is tough. We're heading for a day of judgment where God will give us what we deserve. But forgiveness is possible through Jesus. If you've put your trust in Jesus, which I I, I take is the case for most people here, then you know this. You've received that forgiveness, that washing through Jesus, which means that you can face the coming judgment secure. You've been sealed as as one of God's saved people. And you can look forward to to the blessing and life and joy of being in God's presence forever. That's a message which brings great comfort as we live in this world with with its brokenness, with its rebellion, with its opposition, to know that God is in control, that he will bring justice in the end and that through Jesus you are secure in him. That brings great comfort. But perhaps for some here this morning, this message may bring a challenge. That is, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you haven't yet received the salvation of the Lamb, bowed before his throne, so to speak, and and acknowledged Jesus as your King, as your Saviour, had your robe washed in his blood for your forgiveness, then these chapters bring a challenge to you. That They're a warning that judgment is coming. A day will come when God will bring judgment against all who oppose him. But these chapters are also an invitation. God is holding back that judgment, giving people the opportunity to repent, to turn back to him before it's too late. And so if you haven't done that yet, I want to appeal to you to receive that invitation, accept that invitation. Come before God in prayer, receive his salvation. Bow your life before the king. Submit yourself to him. God's judgment is coming. We don't know when. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be in a thousand years. We don't know when. But we do know it's coming. But now, God is graciously holding it back to give us time, to give you time. So that on that final day, instead of being terrified and calling to the mountains and the rocks to hide hide you, instead, you will rest secure before the throne of God, sheltering in his presence. I want to say if God is challenging you, inviting you, then I urge you to receive that salvation. I'm going to pray. I'm going to lead us in prayer and invite you to pray with me. Our Lord God Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, all praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength belong to you forever and ever. Father, we thank and praise you that you are a God of justice, that you will in the end bring judgment, that you will... Bring an end to this world of conquest and war and famine and death. We thank and praise you that you will bring an end to all rebellion against you. But, Father, we know that left to ourselves we would all stand condemned before you, guilty and terrified on the day of judgment. But we thank and praise you for Jesus, the Lamb of God. That in your grace and mercy, You are holding off your judgment to give time for people to be saved. Father, for any here this morning who are yet to receive that salvation and bring their lives in in joyful service before you, I pray that you would convict and challenge and change them to do that, such that on that final day they may say together with all of us, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Father, we long for that day. May your kingdom come. May your will be done
0: on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.